But first, on Canada Day, gasoline prices rose to $1.73.9, a litre, hitting an all-time high in Metro Vancouver. Experts say even higher prices are expected as fuel demand takes off this summer. How will Vancouverites survive a summer of sky-high gas prices? And why are they so high? Joining me is Adam Pankratz. He's the adjunct professor in the strategy uh, and business and economics department at the Sauter School of Business at UBC. Hi, Adam. Hi there, George. Nice to be with you. Thanks for joining me. So what is the relationship, first of all, between the price of gas and the price of a, bo- a barrel of oil? I, don't, I always get confused by this because it seems like there's, there is a relationship, there's not a relationship, but things seem to be out of control no matter what. Well, like, like so many things of this uh, magnitude, yeah, it, it is a bit complicated and then there are mar- multiple factors at play. But I mean, ultimately, the gas, the price of gas starts with the barrel of oil. And um, and right now we're seeing massive increasing demand for oil. I mean, I think if I could, right off the top, just you know make it simple to start is we're seeing the exact opposite of what happened at the beginning of COVID, right? Where mm-hmm. demand cratered, uh, there right. was high production supply, and those producers all reacted to COVID when the world economy shut mm-hmm. down. Uh, we saw about a ten percent reduction in the production of oil across the board, very notably from, from OPEC. And, um, and now they're being quite cautious in ramping that back up from, from a business perspective. But we've got a lot of demand, right? People want to move, goods want to move, and that's requiring fossil fuels. So that's just pushing the price of the barrel up, and that is the first domino to fall uh, down, the, down the chain towards the end consumer, which is when we then pay buck uh, seventy five for gas at the pump in Vancouver. That whole control of the supply, though, for as long as I can remember, growing up, uh, you know, in OPEC nations and the way they would systematically control supply in order to push up prices, so they would benefit from that. That still exists, then. Oh, absolutely. And 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 what's going on? It just just a minute, literally a minute before I came on. Um, the OPEC, they're currently discussing whether or not they were going to gradually increase production, which they have been doing since they cut it in, uh, in, in March of, of 2020. Um, and there's, there's disagreement between the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. And the meeting, which had been postponed from Friday, just got called off and is postponed now, it looks like, until August at least. So that is a very bullish outcome if you are an oil trader. Uh, it's bad news if you are wanting to go drive around the province this summer. So basically they are in a stalemate situation where they haven't been able to agree on what they want that magic price or volume to be, and so therefore it creates a bit of chaos. That, that's exactly correct. They're, gonna, they're, they're at a, a level about 6%, 5.8 million barrels below where they were before COVID started, and it looks like they're going to stay there. And uh, so an already tight market for oil uh, is going to get even tighter because, um, you know, you and I and everyone else, we want to we want to go somewhere on holiday in the summer. We want to drive, might even be able to fly. Mm-hmm. The borders are open, you know, uh, uh, starting today or tomorrow. Um, people are going to start moving. Yeah. We're going in a direction where there's going to be more, more. and more demand for everything. And, uh, and the oil is not going to be uh, there. 
The U.S. has been focused for quite a long time on their own domestic supply, and then we have the whole issue of the Keystone Pipeline cancelled, not cancelled, cancelled again. Um, but are they really producing in America enough supply to meet their demand? And you know, with the and, and they, I guess they don't include Canada as part of their uh, you know the domestic supply. So uh, are they meeting their own demands? And will they meet their own, own demands even without OPEC? Well, I mean, the United States brings in oil from Canada and still does, and, and mm-hmm. we'll import it from, from OPEC and all around the world. Um, you know, one of the problems, though, with with this this increase in production is, you know, it doesn't happen right away, right? Mm-hmm. It takes a while. And, and one of the things about the shale oil, which was responsible for the, the oil boom in the United States, is that it's expensive, right? It has, it has a very high uh, production cost, and so the break-even point... Um, is quite high, around fifty to fifty-five dollars uh, a barrel. So you know we are in profitable territory now, but that's right now. And and the oil producers who got obviously extremely scared uh, by what happened through COVID, and then you mm-hmm. know the larger narrative of moving away from fossil fuels and and all the political um, pressure and incentives that go with that currently in the United States, that makes these producers understandably a little bit cautious or reticent to immediately, you know, start to ramp up and spend money that they may not get back for quite a long period of time, right? So th- this, yes, the, the production is potentially there, but it it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna lower the prices for um, you know British Columbians driving around this summer. Okay, so that for short term we got we've got high oil prices. People often point to taxes. Oh, well, it's taxes. Taxes take up you know, 99% of all the cost of you know, my, my gas when I pump up. I mean, realistically, you know, what are those numbers and can they be adjusted to really make a huge impact? Well, I mean, you'd, you'd have to call John Horgan to see if <laughs> he can uh, get the taxes adjusted. I mean, do the taxes affect it? Yes. Um, in Metro Vancouver, it's approximately or in and around 50 cents a liter mm-hmm. is, is provincial and local taxes. Um, so, yes, those, those, those could, I mean, theoretically, I guess, be reduced. I don't see that happening. Um, but uh, it, it plays a role. Um, but they don't, you know, at least they don't change. Uh, they don't go up with uh, or as much with, with the price of oil, right? So sort of a, a right, fixed, fixed number. somewhat. Yeah. But and there's probably no impetus. There's no there's no desire by government to. They need that cash. They need the cash, and I think if we listen to what the government's priorities are, I don't. I think that the chances of that are, um, you know, go by the lotto max. You have a much higher <laughs> chance of hitting that than uh, seeing lower gas prices through taxes in Vancouver. But you kind of touched on it. The the negative repercussions of higher gas prices don't just hit us as as individuals. This obviously impacts you know travel, trucking, therefore cost of goods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So government needs to look at those and go, okay, hold on, we have to be careful about inflation and all those other things. Well, and that's a that's a worry in the larger economy anyway. That that we're we're looking at inflation, you know, the, the specter is sort of there and, and how bad is it going to be? Mm-hmm. We're going to start to find that out probably relatively soon. It looks like it's already starting to happen at least a little bit. Um, but certainly, right? I mean, the, the, the end result always is that, uh, you know, to uh, frame it more politely, bad news slows downhill. Um, and, <laughs> and downhill is the, is the consumer. And uh, 
whether it's whether it's on what's getting delivered to you via your online shopping, whether it's gas, whether it's the groceries you're buying, whether it's the price of your plane ticket uh, to go somewhere, all of these things are are getting added costs through the the price of energy and fossil fuels. And, and the consumer is ultimately going to be the person who pays for that. And quite often, inflation starts a lot of the time with that energy use. I and mean, it seems like gas seems to be the one that when it goes down a lot, we see our inflation's really, really low, or if, if not negative. And if it goes up, then suddenly it seems to be across the board. It hits every industry, every level. Uh, and we seem to see, so I guess we can predict if with the gas prices going like this, we're going to see some big inflation numbers. Well, it certainly can because, you know, you look around um, at how many trucks are on the road and, and where, where do all these goods come from? How do mm-hmm. they get to how do they get to Metrotown? How do they get to the mall downtown? How do they get to Save on Foods? How do they? Well, it's all trucked. Right. And, mm-hmm. and as those those prices get start getting added in and the price of fuel creeps up, well, those businesses need to make their margins as well. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, um, you and I are going to pay more for uh for our tomatoes and milk and, and everything, everything else, else. That's, that, that's in there. Yeah. George Affleck in uh, for Mike Smith, and we're taking your call, 604-280-9898. We're asking, how are you coping with uh, the high gas prices? Would you like to see BC government take action when it comes to gas prices? And do you blame the carbon tax? 604-280-9898. And joining me is Adam Pankratz, who's a professor at Sauter School of Business at UBC. We have Chris from New Westminster. Hi, Chris. Hello. So... Gas. You're driving a car, I can hear. I am. What's your thoughts? Uh, well, uh, you know, I have a feeling that the government uh, needs to be very careful on how high they allow these gas prices to go. Uh, just because once that border opens up, a lot of Canadians are super close to that border, and they're going to be crossing the line and not going to be paying $1.70 a litre. They'll be paying it uh, down in Blaine and Bellingham and a lot of other places, and Americans are going to get those dollars and not, not B.C. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, uh, Adam. Your thoughts on that? Well, I don't, I, I don't, uh, I, I can't disagree with that. I'm sure. I mean, people have done that for years, right? Uh, whether it will be uh, a large enough proportion of of British Columbians who do it uh, to push the government to action, um, I would be surprised by that. But I, I'm sure uh, once the border does open, if there is a large enough discrepancy, um, that will that will be one of the the factors. Um, it was probably small, but I'm sure it will happen. All right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Anthony from Vancouver, your thoughts on the gas prices? Uh, yeah. Uh, so if, uh, if all the semi-trucks, I've heard that they're making now uh, zero-emission electric uh, semi-trucks, as a trucking business, if all the trucks start going electric and they're not affected by gas prices mm-hmm. anymore, could that affect inflation and food prices yeah. and all that? Good question, Anthony. I mean, especially this this push for electric. Is this a, the magic solution to all of our problems, or is this unrealistic? Uh, Adam, your thoughts? Um, it, no, it's not unrealistic, and and certainly, um, if if we went electric, obviously we wouldn't have issues with with oil prices. Um, but that's a very long term mm-hmm. solution. I, I, you know, I think. The, the transition to electric vehicles is going to be measured in decades, very likely. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have to think about the fact that if um, all the electric vehicles in the Lower Mainland were to go electric, 
we would need the equivalent of 10 sites C dams, <laughs> you know? So, so how is that going to happen, right? So it, it's, I, I, I think Anthony raises a good point, and certainly that's where government wanted to go. We had the federal government just a few days ago saying that all, elect, all cars sold in Canada by 2035 would be mm-hmm. electric. That's, that's the goal. Um, okay, uh, but that is, uh, that's, a, that's a much longer-term solution. But maybe, but, but yes, it, it would. Yeah, it would but and it. looking at trucks, though, is a whole other area. I mean, you know, that's a real industry. Or you look at trains, like all the diesel fuel out there, all the different kinds of vehicles. Uh, when they're talking about, you know, government saying cars mainly by that time, not buses and trucks and trains and all the other vehicles that we have that uh, would be electric. But that's amazing. Ten, how many sightseeing dams did you say, Adam? Uh, about ten. So that's not possible. So the likelihood is that we'd have to move to what nuclear? What's what's the option besides it's clean energy? Where where do we get it from? Well, um, I don't have the answer to that. Um, you know, BC is very heavily reliant on hydroelectric power. Um, mm-hmm. So for us, you know, we would need to figure out a way to where we could put those dams, um, or or things like nuclear might be might be part of the solution. I don't think it's going to be a one bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, solution to that, but it is a significant problem um, if we want to go fully electric, setting aside uh, the entire new infrastructure grid that would need to be built out mm-hmm. and so on, right? This, this is a, it's a, it's a something that I, will happen, but it's going to take, you know, a long time. It's, it's complicated. It's not going to solve our gas prices <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. Over to Joel and Kamloops. Joel, go ahead. Hi there. Uh, I just had a question about uh, oil and gas subsidies and kind of what's going on with that. You hear a lot about, um, well, government subsidies going out to big companies. And I'm just wondering if there are a lot of subsidies going out right now, whether that's going to stop with gas prices rising and stuff like that. Okay, uh, Joel, thanks. Yeah. Subsidies. Uh, I'm not, Adam, do you know what he's, what he's referring yeah. to? Well, Joel, um, so I guess the... the, the the issue there is what is actually meant by subsidies, right? Because mm-hmm. different different people will talk about subsidies meaning different things, um, depending on which side of the fossil fuel argument you you are on. Um, you know, I think most people think of subsidies as the government just handing cash to oil and gas companies. That doesn't really happen. Um, most of the subsidies are talked about in terms of tax incentives. Um, you know, BC has it for deep oil well drilling. Um, where you're able to essentially, uh, because drilling gas oil is very expensive and very risky, Mm -hmm. um, to encourage this, um, the BC government will allow gas companies to essentially amortize the cost of that well if they hit, if they hit the gas, um, and only if, uh, they can, they can pay that out of their royalties. Um, once they're in production. And this is just an incentive in a highly risky industry to encourage and, and, and not have to have companies have that cost up front, for example. So, so um, you know, I think that is likely to continue um, because the, the, you know, the prices are volatile, right? Yep. So we're probably going to see high prices through the summer, but then, you know, OPEC could say in September that they're going to increase production and oil prices come back down. So, All right, all right Adam. We've got to go. That's, that's, thanks, Joel. And Adam, thanks very much for joining me today. I really appreciate that. It's, uh, this is going to be a hot issue throughout the summer, I'm sure. 
George Affleck in for Mike Smith for today. He'll be back tomorrow. Um, after nearly 16 months of rigid travel restrictions, Canada is finally starting to loosen the rules, but only for a specific few. As of today, fully vaccinated Canadians and permanent residents, those who have had a full course of COVID-19 vaccine approved for use in Canada, will be able to skip the 14-day quarantine. On the line, we have Blaine-based immigration lawyer Len Saunders, who has already crossed the border, I think, under these new rules today. Hey, Len. Hi, George. How are you? Good. Did you make it? Did you make it back and forth? What happened? Well, so I was all ready to go. Uh Um, As of midnight last night, the Canadian government was supposed to update their online app for this new uh, program for Canadians returning to Canada. Mm -hmm. And it was not uploaded. What? So, oh, yeah. So I was ready to go have my Canadian passport, which was valid, have my vaccination card. I've had both vaccinations for more than five months. I went down to Bellingham on Saturday, and I ordered my PCR COVID test, which came back on Sunday negative. So I was all excited to enter Canada this morning (laughs) after being gone for almost 16 months. And because the new app isn't available, the program is not up and running yet, unfortunately. So this is the Arrive Canada app that we're talking about? Arrive Can? Yeah, so they were supposed to upload it or at least update it at midnight last night. And I searched around on the internet and there's a lot of unhappy people saying (laughs) it had not been uploaded yet. Yeah. That is crazy. So who controls that uploading? Is it the U.S. or Canada? Who's in control of this app? The federal Canadian government. It's interesting. I did have a client who went north this morning at 8 a.m. I was going to go either just before or after him. And Mm -hmm. he was allowed in because he was a Canadian, but he still had to do the COVID test. He was told that uh, he would get it back within 24 to 72 hours. So he's not subject to the 14-day quarantine, but he still has to quarantine anywhere from a day to three days until that test comes back. And so I was just hoping to pop up for maybe an hour. Yeah, normal. You know, get some Tim Hortons or see <laughs> a client in White Rock. So I decided against it. So what I'm going to do is wait until the app has actually been, I guess, uploaded online, and then uh-huh. I'll have to go back and get another COVID test and start from scratch. Okay, so if, if you had been able to go, so what are the new rules supposed to be? If this app, if you're in the States and you want to come up to Canada, you need to do what if if we if the actual app is working. What are the things you can? What are we? What are we permitted? Or what can we get away with now, officially? Well, so the individual still has to be admissible. So your average American cannot use this new program. But myself, who's dual, mm-hmm. I can because I'm a Canadian. So you have to have your proof of citizenship or your you know however you're going to enter as a landed immigrant or whatnot. You have to upload to the app mm-hmm. your vaccination card, which I was waiting to do, and then you have to have the negative PCR test uh, within 72 hours. And so that seems pretty simple as long as they provide Mm -hmm. the app, which is the requirement in order to enter under this new provision. So if you didn't have that, like your person you talked about, they have to go into quarantine for a couple of days? That's the previous rule. He has, yeah, so he was told by, and this is the Douglas Crossing, which is Peace Arch, when he entered at about 8 this morning, Mm -hmm. He told me that uh, they said he would get notification within 24 to 72 hours, but he still needed to head to his designated quarantine location. 
until he got that update. So for your, you know, just someone coming up for a brief trip like I was planning, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. But it is a step in the right direction yes. because he was not told he had to quarantine for 14 days. That's true. I suppose that's a bonus prize, I suppose. But how disappointing for you and for who knows how many across Canada, thousands, thousands, hundreds, how many people do you think across Canada might have been in your situation going, where is that app? Where is that app? I have clients who are all over the U.S. right now who have been holding off on coming back until today because they knew that this program was going to start at midnight. And, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people disappointed that the program you know, hasn't gone as smoothly as everyone expected. I imagine people in Point Roberts are especially concerned or, or angry about this. They're pretty anxious to get back and forth there. I heard they had a huge protest yesterday, so... I think people in the point are running out of patience right now. I mean, this, you know, government, you know, slowness, uh, <laughs> not the private sector, getting an app up, uh, not surprising, I suppose. Uh, perhaps we were too optimistic. You were being too optimistic to think that government would actually do something on time, on schedule, and make it work. At the, is that, are you just being naive, Lynn? Well, you know, it's funny because... The, the testing center I went to was closed on Sunday, so I literally raced down to Bellingham on Sunday afternoon to make sure that I was there before they, or Saturday afternoon to make sure I was there before they closed. So, you know, I was pretty excited to come back to Canada today, and then when I couldn't find the, the, the new app, and when I checked online and I saw a lot of chatter on social media that it had not been updated and it may be a few days, mm-hmm. I was like, typical, like, <laughs> you know, why can't the Canadian government get their act together? They're very quick in closing the border or the B.C. government in closing the Peace Arch Park. But to try to reopen this border, it's so slow and painful. It's like never ending. It's not like it's unpredictable. We have there should be a plan and the date should be the date. Uh, it's they're the ones who set these deadlines. So if you can't get the stuff done that you need to get done when you're the ones government making these deadlines, come on. Well, absolutely. And so I know a lot of other clients are going to be calling me this afternoon and tomorrow asking what to do. And, you know, these PCR tests, the client who went this morning, his expired at 930 this morning. He drove up from Palm Springs. I think he did his test, you know, just within the 72 hours. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like he could, you know, just wait to see when the app was going to be uploaded unless he had to go and do another test. For me as an American, I've got U.S. health insurance, so it's free. But sometimes these tests are two or three hundred dollars each. If I'm going the other way from Canada to the States, what's any issues I need to think about that way? Well, so the American border is still closed. There's zero ex- exemptions on the land border crossing, but mm-hmm. the you know you the big loophole mm-hmm. flying is still an option. There's no restrictions on yeah. flying, other than you have to do a COVID test. Anybody can go to Vancouver Airport and catch a flight to the U.S. as long as they're admissible. There's, so weird. There's, there's no requirements on vaccination so or anything entering the U.S. by air. So what's the word on them opening the land border up? Well, I was very optimistic that the border was going to open on June 21st. I heard from multiple local American officers mm-hmm. that they were planning on reopening on the 21st. It was a sure thing. And then the day before... The uh, closure was supposed to expire. The federal government down here extended it for another 30 days. So I'm at the point now, I'm not guessing any longer. I'm, I was so certain it was going to open, and it didn't happen. Now, 
who knows, maybe sometime in the fall, but at least with the Canadian government doing these small exemptions for mm-hmm. Canadians, it's definitely a step in the right direction, and hopefully this is the starting of a slow reopening. Well, that's the question, although I'm a bit frustrated to hear that there is a, a delay today, because there is a plan, I think July 21st, where we'll see the next phase and hopefully have full reopen. What's the, what's the plan? Like, what's the current plan? For the well, full I think when you see this, this current exemption program, you know, them dropping the ball federally in Canada, I, I would be shocked if mm-hmm. the Canadian border opens fully on the 21st. I'm, I'm guessing now sometime in the fall. What? I think summer is now done and there's going to be no urgency to open up the border. But hopefully every month there's, you know, a slow reopening to maybe American citizens fully vaccinated mm-hmm. who can maybe come up for the winter and ski at Whistler. But at this point, who knows? It's just because decisions are coming out of Ontario where things are more chaotic when it comes to COVID. And we're, we're living in a bit of a bubble here in BC where things are reopening. We haven't had it as bad. It was never as crazy here. And decisions are being made in Ottawa where they're looking around and going madness here in Ontario. And that's why? Oh, I, I, I totally uh, believe that. You know, most of British Columbia now, from what everyone's told me, because I haven't been up there for 16 months, seems to be reopening like Washington State mm-hmm. and like... You look at California, Disneyland is now fully reopened. Hmm. I'm going to a Mariners baseball game next Sunday. It's at 100% capacity. 100%. Things are back to normal. 100% capacity at Mariners games. So now that you you see these large venues reopening in the U.S., there's really no reason why the borders closed. There's, There's no valid justification to keep it closed. I know most Canadians are concerned about you know, the, the spread of coronavirus, but many Americans are fully vaccinated. I've been fully vaccinated for over five months, and many Americans are. So it's not like mm-hmm. I'm low risk coming up to Canada. I'm zero risk. Mm-hmm. I've had my vaccinations. I have a negative COVID test. And what they need to do is they need to take that nexus lane, which has been closed going into Canada now for almost And make that a months. COVID lane or it's COVID-free lane. Yeah. Yeah, make it, make it a COVID lane. Mm-hmm. Coming south into the U.S., the nexus lane has remained open the whole time. It's just going north, so maybe the Canadian government should look Start there. at you know, reopening the program for some kind of you know, COVID vaccination lane. For Jafflick in for Mike Smith, and we're taking your calls. We have tons of calls. Are you ready for the border to reopen? Reopen when it does reopen. Would you like to see it open only to those who are double vaccinated, or for everyone? Len Saunders stayed with me. He's a Blaine immigration lawyer. In case we get into questions that I can't answer, Pat from Salt Spring, go ahead. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I'm hoping the border will open, but I did just come across from the U.S. Um, on the 29th. And I was put into 14 days quarantine. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had this happen. Um, I've had both my shots. Yeah. Does this new regulation that came in today mean that I am pardoned from the quarantine, or do I still have to serve that whole? Oh, interesting. Days? Yeah. Now that you're here, thanks, Pat. Uh, Len, what's the? What, is there a, is there a, a rule there? Or how does that work? Yeah. So as of midnight last night, this caller, if she was to enter, she would Canada fully vaccinated, mm-hmm. would not have to do the 14-day quarantine. That is the big advantage of this new program, but it has to be one of the four approved vaccinations. Um, she, so she'll benefit from this on her next return So trip she can't Canada. bypass it this time. She's already got here because she came in before. She's got to do her 14 days. So that 14 days is 
still, still in effect. It's only for people who entered nah. after midnight last it's night. It's so weird, though. All right, sorry, Pat. You're stuck. You're stuck inside for the next 14 days or whatever days it is. Thanks for calling, Pat. Brian from Langley, go ahead. Hey guys, I got a question for you. I, uh, an old retired guy, normally a snowbird, although I didn't go away this year. So I don't have a smartphone, but I've been doubly mm. vaccinated for a month. Mm. So how do I get documentation? Yeah, and I'm not going to buy a thousand dollar phone. I can tell you <laughs> that right now. That's a good point. Len, what do people do if they don't have phones like this, this technology? Yeah. So there's two ways of accessing this, this program. One is on an app on your phone. The other way is through their website. So it is available on their government website. I haven't gone on that. I just accessed it on my phone through the app. But if you don't have a computer, then will the people at the border go on the computer and look it up for you? No. So what they do is, is you have to go online and yeah. you have to create an account and register and upload your passport, proof of gain citizenship, your COVID card. It was actually a pretty simple system until I got to the point <laughs> where... You know, it was the old system, not the new one. So they've actually made it very user-friendly. So there's no way to escape the technology. You can't just print out or have somebody, like you can't, as a lawyer, say, here's a bunch of paperwork, just show them this. That doesn't work? No, so you have to create your own account. And I've had people who literally, they're on their way to the border, Canadian clients, and I'm like, have you done the Arrive Canada app or the online Mm -hmm. program? And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like... Where have you been the last 15 or 16 months? You need to pre-register. So they make a pit stop in my office in Blaine. I help them do it, print out the forms, yeah, and then they head off to the border to do their 14-day quarantine under the old program. But they had actual pieces of paper that were good enough, or they still had to show the app? They still have to show the you, digital No, stuff. no, you have to print out all of the documentation okay. and show it to the officers. And each inspection takes about 15 minutes. Like... You know, in the past, wow. you'd go to the border and they, you know, what have you bought? What are you bringing back? It was like 10 seconds. These are lengthy inspections. So if you're in line and there's four cars ahead of you, you're not getting into Canada in a minute or two. It's like an hour wait. It's and this, a and this long goes back, process. This goes back to your point about the Nexus. I mean, I have a Nexus. I went through a whole process. If I lie at the border, I lose my Nexus. So why can't the government simply say, if you have a Nexus and you've done your paperwork and, you, and they ask you the simple question, have you done your paperwork? You should be able to go across the border without them checking any paperwork, frankly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, they're still renewing Nexus cards as long as you don't have to do an interview. So the program is still there. The Americans are still accepting Nexus cards. It's just the Canadian border hmm. officers, the, the systems shut down going north. Wow. Brian, thanks for your call. Uh, Bob uh, from Vancouver, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with your guest 100%. You know, if an American or a Canadian has a double vaccine uh, dosage, they should be allowed to cross. You know, and one of the arguments mm-hmm. I hear is some people say, well, not enough Canadians have double vaccinated doses. But, you know, if the Americans have, and if more Americans come our way, you know, that's good. So mm-hmm. I just think the Canadian government, they're, you know, just uh, too overly, overly, overly cautious. And uh, if your guess is right about not reopening that border till the fall, then I think there are going to be many people in <laughs> British Columbia that are going to be absolutely Unhappy. furious. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Uh, on to Kelly from North Van. Hi there. Go ahead. Um, two things. One is I am a property owner at Point Roberts, and I was at that rally yesterday. Mm-hmm. I totally okay. believe that the border should be open. The land border should be opened. Right now, I can access my property only by flying from Boundary Bay Airport to Bellingham and then back to Point Roberts, which is 
completely right. ludicrous right. and doesn't make any sense in terms of virus or protection. Okay, thanks, Kelly. Last minute uh, tips, Len. Before we go, a few seconds here. What do you what do you what do you want to say to people? Well, you know, there's no point in getting vaccinated if both governments don't open up the borders mm-hmm. fully. It's just a lack of common sense. And the thing is, any Canadian can still come down to this country, like the caller was saying. You just have to take all of these roundabout methods. So hopefully, the Canadian government and the American government wake up soon, open up the border to fully vaccinated Canadians or Americans going either way. There needs to be a plan. There needs to be a reopening. Otherwise, so many people on both sides of the border are going to lose patience. It's right. going to be two years soon. George Afflickin for Mike Smith. The last half hour of the show, Michael will be back tomorrow. So and if you uh, want to call in on our buzz lines about anything on the show today, 604-331-2899, 604 You can also tweet at me. If you want, George underscore Affleck, or you want to email me, George at cknw.com. Fraser Health is warning a group of people who came into contact with an injured bat at White Pine Beach in Balcarra on Saturday that they should seek medical attention immediately. Fraser Health says a group of about nine people were handling an injured bat on the floating dock portion of the park around 7.45 p.m. This is a great reminder to be careful around bats because the risk of rabies is real. And beyond that, we don't want to be disturbing them in their natural environments. Joining me now is Mandy Kellner. She's the provincial coordinator of of the BC Community Bat Program. Hi, Mandy. Hi there. So tell me, do you know what happened here? Like, what were these people doing and what were they thinking? (laughs) You know what? I don't have any extra information on the story, unfortunately. Um, I do know that people are just usually pretty interested in bats and we don't get the chance to I'm see not, them up close. <laughs> I'm not interested. No, not. <laughs> I, I don't want to touch them. I don't want them flying near me. I don't want them. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, we, you don't want to touch them. No. They're fine to have flying near, near you because all our bats eat insects and they might just be trying to catch the mosquitoes that are flying around your head. So they're actually helping you. So they won't get um, caught in my hair like the urban legend of, you know, like... They don't get caught in your hair. Okay. Yeah. They can see very well, and they know exactly where you are. Okay. So, but this situation where this bat was probably injured, uh, they thought they could help it, um, that's not the process they should have gone through. That's correct. Yeah. Um, Bats and any wildlife you should not touch with your bare hands. Um, From my limited understanding, they were were holding the bat. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm not sure, but... Uh, yeah, if you do come in contact with a bat or see a bat on your property, you always want to use gloves if you have to handle the bat at all. And of course, not touching any wildlife is the best course of action. Uh, the reasons to, to handle a bat would be is if it's somewhere that pets or, or people are going to come in contact with it and you want to move it somewhere away. Obviously, the concern is rabies. Is that what this is all about? That's right. Yeah. Um, our bats do carry rabies at All a really low rate. So less than 1% okay. of wild bats will, will carry the virus. Okay. But it's um, it's a, a horrible disease and you need to seek medical attention right away, which is why the Fraser Health is, is taking this action right now. This has happened before and we've had tragic circumstances in, in the situation. That's right. Yes. Um, unbeknownst to uh, the fellow a couple of years ago, he had come in contact with a bat and didn't receive follow up. So, yeah, first thing we always urge is that people contact public health. And then if their pets have come in contact with a bat to talk to the veterinarian, because getting a booster for, for their rabies vaccinations is key. Is there I mean, the bat life is so you've got 
you say they, they eat bugs. They, they they come out in the evenings. They they look like when you're. I know that when you see them in the evening because you know growing up in the valley, you could sort of see bats. But they also look like mm-hmm. birds. You know, you don't know what they are. But they just what should you know in in, in when are bats around? When it, what should we do to be careful just having them around us? Uh, it's generally really safe to be around bats. They all only eat insects and are not interested in people. Um, they're not aggressive unless you're trying to hurt them, trying to pick them up or, mm-hmm. or move them around or anything. So just left to their own, they can fly around you very safely and eat insects. Um, yeah, and they are actually uh, like amazing to watch. They're crazy flyers mm-hmm. and they, you know, swooping around at dusk. It's quite a sight. How have bats evolved? I mean, are there more bats now, or is, there, is it endangered? Is it Where does it fit in the scheme of, of wildlife in our province? Um, well, we have uh, 15 species of bats confirmed in BC uh, mm-hmm. breeding here, and almost half of those are at risk, either provincially or federally. So they have all sorts of issues. I don't know if you've heard of white-nose syndrome. It's a, a bat fungal disease that's mm. spreading north from Washington and is uh, fatal, for, for many bats. So, yeah, our bats have a lot against them with habitat loss and um, disease, people sometimes not wanting bats in their in their houses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they, they've got a lot to deal with, and they could use any help and support from people who want to take care of their habitat and take measures to protect bats. In an urban environment, where do they tend to habitate habitat was there habitat is it is it in garage garages <laughs> they, roofs, uh, or yeah, we, we have a number of species that will adapt and live in buildings and then there's a number of species that will only roost in trees or rocks so those might get um edged out of areas with a lot of urban or agricultural development and then the species that live in buildings you could also put up bat boxes as alternative habitat but mm-hmm. they'll be in sometimes in soffits or under siding in attic spaces they're super small. They're about the size of, they can squeeze through things about the size of a dime. Oh, wow. So um, if they've got their eye on your attic, <laughs> it can be challenging to keep them out of there. Um, but the flip side is, like I said, they're not out to get humans, and it's possible to live safely with bats as long as they're not coming into your living space. When is bat mating season? And is it like the crow season that we need to worry about it, where they're going to be more aggressive or protective? <laughs> no, they mate in the fall right before they hibernate. Okay. So we really never see them. We don't know where most of our bats in BC hibernate. They don't really? go far. Most of them are probably hibernating in the province and they actually mate right before they're going in hibernating. Okay. How did you get into the BC? How, how did you become a bat expert? Like, what, what happened to you? Like, what, you, were, you fell in love with them as a kid <laughs> and you're like, I love bats. I want to follow them. <laughs> yeah, I do love bats. Um, I got into bats because so little is known about bats in our province. So I'm a wildlife biologist. I did my master's at Simon Fraser University studying bats and bat ecology. Um, and yeah, it just was one of those things that like, wow, I found out there was all these animals in the province that we had no idea where they lived um, in summer. We have no idea how many there are. Just the the unknowns. Hmm. How did you how, now? And if people want to, if they see a bat, what should they do? Should they? Is there a number they should call? We are always happy to hear about bat sightings. The best mm-hmm. way is to report it through our website, which is bcbats.ca. There's a little report a bat button. Okay. Um, and all sorts of other information if you have questions about bats. Um, we're mostly interested in hearing about dead bats, so that helps us looking for the disease that I okay. mentioned, white nose yep. syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, with this crazy heat wave that has just passed, we've mm-hmm. been quite interested in knowing how bats are doing at that time. 
Um, they did surprisingly well, it seems like. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, always keen to hear about if you have a bat colony or bat sighting. If they see an injured bat, is there they should call or BC Wildlife? Who should they call? Um, they can local? get in touch with us and we can okay. help people uh, decide what to do in that situation. There's a number of rehabs in the province Okay. help with bats when you're texting But again, don't touch them. Don't touch them yourself. Okay, Mandy. Thanks very much. I appreciate you taking time today. Thanks for your interest. Thanks.